0: Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie
1: Alien one minute at a time. My name is John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 82, which begins with Ripley demanding that Ash let her pass, and ends with Ash standing menacingly over Ripley. We're joined again by Violet Luca, the digital editor of Film Comment, and a regular contributor to Sight and Sound, and Brooklyn Magazine. Welcome back, Violet. Hi! <laughs> Thanks for coming back. Um, yeah. Should we just get right into the minute? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, so, let's, let's talk about, uh, shall we talk about what that camera is up to here?
0: Yeah. I was One thing I was going to say about this minute, I'll just tease it out. This, this is the minute, Mitch. I don't think I've mentioned this to you. This is the minute that made me want to do this show. Really? Absolutely. Oh. So one time, Mitch, you, I believe you were teaching sci-fi and horror class at the Tivoli Theater here in Kansas City. And I... You know, you're showing Alien on the big screen. I'm going to go see it. So I sat in on the class, and you and I went and had beers afterwards and got to talking about this camera, what, what happens in this minute. And it was something that I noticed but never really put a lot of thought into, and we had a, a fairly extensive conversation, which I believe we'll probably get into a lot of that conversation in this minute. But uh, when it was sort of thrown out there, when the Star Wars Minute guys sort of threw out there that they were loaning out the, the format for different podcasts, this was the minute I thought of, Mitch, that there's so much meaty stuff in this movie to talk about. This was a particular conversation I remembered and thought, Mitch and I should talk about this movie Wow, well, I'm glad you remembered that. Yeah. Since
1: we were out for beers, I, of course, don't
0: remember any yeah. of it, but yeah. So I don't remember everything about it. I just remember being like thinking, well, this is the first time I've really sat down with someone and talked about Alien and how, how much subtext there is to this movie, how much deeper it goes than just a sci-fi horror film. So this was the thing I had in mind, Mitch,
1: when I uh, when I called you and said, Let's do this. Well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, Violet, I know you said that, that there was something about this minute that is particularly interesting to you. And I just I assume it has to do with this this camera business, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I just love um you know, it's it's a uh it's just like a sign that everything's gone haywire, but I I love the way the the camera person is moving in this scene because it's just like you know, the the way that they're sort of backing up to follow this action and it makes it so vibrant and intense. And there's also a moment where, you know, they're backing up and they sort of hit one, like there are these like little, uh, like wind chimes or like some sort of like mobile hanging over somebody's bunk. And it's, you know, you see it get hit, but they just keep going with the scene. And there's no like attempt to be, I mean, now if that happened, obviously it would be like you know, visual effects would like remove it or something, you know, make everything sort of look perfect and still, but I love that you see that and, you know, it's, you know, probably most people consider that like a goof or something, but I think it's, um, it's just like a, a testament to that. It's like, no, what's really important is this action. And, you know, it all, it sort of weirdly puts you in this situation that's, you know, rapidly growing out of control. So, yeah, I, I, I was, I loved that. I loved that moment.
0: Well, not only do they leave it in, but they hang a lantern on it. Ash looks and furrows his eyebrows at it. I mean, (laughs) in the scene, the actor acknowledges it. And not only that, but tell me if I'm wrong about this, Mitch. I'm not sure. Uh, You talk a lot about coverage. They cut, you know, in this minute, I believe. And uh, the wind chimes are still going. I think it's a different camera, isn't it? We got this low angle camera and Ash walks into the room. And still looking at the wind chimes and they're still moving, so they
1: really owned up to this moment yeah i it's so funny I never thought it was a goof, yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah I mean, I always thought it was just like the ultimate I get to use apotheosis right I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's sort of the ultimate apotheosis of this of this pesky prowling spying camera that yeah. the camera we actually acknowledge its existence. I mean, this is—we talked at the beginning about how it blew those those papers, right. which may or may not be the air conditioning coming on. But I want to believe <laughs> it's the camera jostling those papers, and that and that it's, it's this intentional um, dance that's going on between the filmmakers and the audience in terms of this. And now the cast, the characters, in this strange acknowledgement of this observing force.
2: Yeah
1: and i'm yep. not sure what to make of it beyond that i mean it is got it has to be one of the weirdest moments of any movie especially a movie that that does not seem to have anything meta on its brain at all
2: i think it makes you uncomfortable because it's like oh you know it's because it, you're so into this moment and then you're sort of pulled out of it but then also you can't be pulled out of it because it's like well what what's going to happen to ripley like what like what is going to happen here like it's so it makes you, it, I don't want to say complicit, but it really, it like it's pulling you in two directions at the same time in a really fascinating way.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of the helplessness you feel occasionally in Hitchcock movies when he goes to that overhead shot looking down on the proceedings yeah. and you just feel like, oh my God, there's nothing I can do to, to help these people. In fact, they've just removed me even further from it.
0: Well, I think practically speaking, there's a lot to be said here we talked a little bit about the screenplay and the novelization different forms that this uh, scene has, has taken in before they shot the film if you look uh, it, for instance in the illustrated story that heavy metal magazine put out this is uh, this confrontation between ash and ripley it ends up somewhat in the same place but it's pretty you know comic book normal action kick big onomatopoeias of whack and bam and that could have very much come across in the movie as well had they just had a knockdown drag out fight we would have fallen into a, like genre cliche and i think Ridley Scott and and crew were very attuned to that they're constantly throughout this movie trying to avoid that and i think this here comes a part where they made some clear decisions i think you know in the shooting script in the final moments before they're shooting this they made some big changes and i think part of that motivation just to guess at intention here had to be we got to do something this is getting too normal we're going to have to disquiet them again we're going to have to do something that completely throws everyone off and i think that's that push pull that you're talking about violet that uh if we have this meta moment where people are it's just so bizarre i can't imagine in 1979 you know you're watching a sci-fi movie and uh 20th century fox put out in wide release and then you see a moment like this if this makes any sense to you at all but like you said you're still interested in the the action of the scene and it's just a yet another moment yeah where you're set off disquieted again by this movie
2: yeah and i also love again there's this even though there is this big sort of knockdown drag out fight there's a lot of stillness here where he's just standing where she looks at him and she sees the white you know goo the you know like whatever is coming out of him and she like again it's like she's putting together like okay this isn't a person but they're just staring at each other and they lock eyes and it's and it's very again it's very unsettling and it's like well this is unnatural there's something unnatural about what's happening, what's going on here but and then which is also echoed in the fact you know like in that camera move and in just like how this fight is progressing because there are many sort of stop they'll stop and then they'll fight a little, and they'll stop. And then it's it's very it's like very bizarrely paced, um, which also really gives it a sense of like an, uh, a definite sense of unease and un- unexpectedness. Let's say that's that's both you know fl- you know flying in the face of something like a sci-fi film, but totally in line with what horror does, which is make you conflicted about what what you want to happen. Who are you rooting for? Stuff like that
1: yeah and i think there's there's another interesting visual tension that gets created because it starts with that handheld business in the corridor when he's shutting the doors and then it goes to that lockdown shot of ash and then it locks down as ripley comes toward him and then he reaches out and he grabs her hair she drops out of frame and he's got a hunk of her hair in his fist and that's locked down too Mm -hmm. so so that throws you a little bit if you know even if it's just you're not conscious of it at all just in the in the reception of the film that's got to be playing with you. And suddenly now we're handheld again. And then we do this, you know, this little number we just talked about where where we actually address the camera. So, I mean, w- once again, this is this movie works so well when we look at it in terms of 30 second and 60 second increments, because every shot counts.
0: Yeah. Mitch, we do need to talk about this, this milk drop situation. <laughs> we talked about it a little bit earlier. What do we think is going on here? I mean, I understand the reveal. I understand it's a beautiful moment, um, the way he's framed and how they, they just came. In. You could just see somebody with an eyedropper just, you know, out of frame. Maybe I don't know how they'd pull out the effect exactly, but she didn't do anything to cause him to have a head wound or anything. What are, what exactly is causing this milk to drip out of him? Any guesses?
2: Well, she has a bloody nose, yeah. too. So it's like, there, it's almost like there was part of, if they fought, there's a part of the fight that you didn't see. But it also is like, is she getting a nosebleed because this is really intense and this is really scary? And is he sort of like mimicking that with her? Like, again, if it's like, if you want to sort of read into like this logic of the film, it's like, well, what if you built, you know, an android or, a, you know, to be very, to mimic human behaviors? It's almost like, you know, again, they're like mirroring each other. But why, like the deeper why is, is, is strange and and doesn't really, it's like wrong. It's like trying, it's like emulating, it's like putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable of something.
1: Yeah. You, you have to wonder whether just one slam against the wall, uh, is enough to rattle his circuits so that he begins to go haywire. But it does seem like, uh, he's not a very resilient robot. <laughs> you hit him a couple of times and he goes, he goes crazy.
0: Well, I think Violet, you got you have something there with a bloody nose. To me, it, it's kind of a it, you could look at it in an artsy sort of way where they're just mirroring each other. They're both leaking here. Like we see a human leaking, and we see a an android leaking. The androids leak milk, apparently. So, but um, I wonder too, Mitch, if it wasn't just a malfunction. Uh, he's starting. He's systematically, as this movie's gone on, we've talked about. Well, we know because we've seen aliens that his model is twitchy, and he has all these moments these idiosyncratic moments where he's jogging in place he does all this weird stuff as we go along we kind of wondered if this isn't the hint at he's starting to twitch out a little bit he's starting to go on the fritz and it really just took that one that one knock and maybe sweating milk is because because as we get into the next minute maybe as this minute goes on you see multiple drops all coming from the forehead almost like this is the intensity. This is the sweating. Have we seen him sweat earlier in the movie? That's
1: a question. I don't know, but I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't make a, ro- a robot that sweated milk anyway. Well, it's, you're not going to really, unless it's a tell, and that that uh, I don't know about that. Maybe he's. You know, all he does is
0: drink milk. We've established that. That's so maybe true. it was his fault. Maybe that should have been in the programming. Just never drink milk, and you'll never reveal yourself as an android. Uh, apparently, he didn't uh, pay attention to that part of his program, but. I don't know, uh, listeners out there, if you've got any theories, we love to throw theories uh, out to the listeners. Give us some milk sweat theories, please.
1: I did notice our impassive dippy birds back there on the table just kind of doing their thing, drinking water while all this this chaos is going on. And there is a electric prod on that table, which is a good thing for a few minutes later. Violet, any theories about what the hell that nook is that she gets thrown into?
2: <laughs> well, um... Yeah, well, obviously, uh, it's a guy's nook, uh, based on how it's decorated. Or maybe, or you know, maybe uh, it could also be um, Lambert's, if she's super into, like, nudie pictures, but I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny, because it's, like, I thought it was kind of, like, an ironic twist, because it's, like, those women, you know, these photos of these, you know, naked women taped up, it's, like, well, they're all very passive, they're all, like, waiting for you to take them over, and you know they're there for display and what is ripley ripley is totally active she's totally clothed. she's like figuring shit out and she's she she's like a threat to you know mail order or at least you know what um what ash wants to do she's a direct threat to his authority and so of course he's gonna like throw her down and like the this like weird little like this this titty bar nook you know like it's, it's such a like it's sardonic sort of twist on you know any of any place to try and kill this strong woman of course it would be here and so. it's
1: right off of the breakfast table i mean it's right off it's so weird right. because it's not a private space maybe there's a door that comes down you know for <laughs> privacy moments or something but right now there's nothing private about that space
2: yeah but yeah well that's what's also is strange it's just like it's like well what are you what are you really going to do there like really like there's no there's no privacy anywhere on this ship
0: uh we've talked earlier about you know the possible relationship between ripley and dallas and what we know about it you know from earlier drafts of the screenplay and so on and there there being that implication of sexuality um in the screenplay and novelization as well uh, leading up to these moments there's an entire scene between ripley and lambert where they discuss, as Ripley is trying to, she's she's sort of doing some detective work trying to figure out Ash, she asked Lambert, hey, did you ever sleep with Ash? Very casually. Hey, did you ever sleep with Ash? And Lambert says, no, did you? No, I didn't either, huh? And they say, well, it never seemed, like uh, Lambert said, never seemed to me like he was very interested. You know, this casual sexuality uh, implying that everybody slept with everybody at some point. <laughs> really, Scott's vision of sexuality is, let's cut all that shit out and introduce... in this different sort of way where there's nudie mag pages all over the wall. And as we're going to get into the next minute, uh, a nudie mag becomes a weapon of a lethal weapon. You know, it's a completely different approach to the idea of sexuality. Um, That leads me to though, talking about this space and then the breakfast nook, we're back again, Mitch to brutality, violence, uh, something discomforting happening in the safe space of the ship. uh, The only safe space of the ship. And you could say, I suppose, the, an even more intimate space on the ship is this uh, this whack off nook <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. So,
1: it's the, it's on the blueprints <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> table, yeah, uh, yeah, sick bay, whack off nook,
0: right? In yeah. Rod Cobb. Cobb's original blueprints of the Nostroma. <laughs> so again, they like we even move. We have a violent moment in Mother, which is decidedly not intimate space. Ripley actually takes us to the intimate space for the real violence to happen. So this is a this is a recurring
1: theme as well. It just makes the movie so wonderfully weird. This is not your typical horror movie. It it has so many things designed to not be safe. It just makes me wish they made more horror movies like this because I still I still feel like there are lots of mysteries about the world and. I don't get to know everything, and I, I don't want to know everything. I like the fact that there are these open questions that everybody else on the crew knows about it. I'm not lucky enough to know about these things because I'm not part of the crew.
2: Yeah, what what made me interested and made me want to participate in this because uh, this in your guys's podcast is that it, I do like the idea of doing a very close reading of a film, and this is a film that really has no like nothing extraneous but also enough elements that are sort of mysterious or ambiguous that make it really tantalizing. And so like digging into those details and being like, well, what is happening here? Like that's, that's really thrilling. And that's what, I think, that's what I think good criticism should do. But anyway. <laughs>
1: no, I think, I, in fact, to follow that up and sort to of look toward Prometheus and I think what may even be a bigger issue in, in films today is there seems to be this real deep desire to explain everything, that oh, there yeah. are great pleasures in having something explained to you instead of the pleasure of having to figure it out yourself.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it's like, you know, uh, like the Twilight movies or something like, um, a, a, to cite a really a really terrible movie, uh, Jupiter Ascending, uh, that Kachowski movie. Yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, that, like every, every moment of that film, it's like they would have to take a break and be like, well, the the blah blah blahs, they you know, they have these powers and this is why they have those powers. And it's just like, God, shut up. Like, like just let just show me, don't tell me. Uh you know, it's it's so it's it's so boring to have everything be so, you know, classified and sort of, like, you know, as if you're in some like uh, museum and you there are these little uh what do you call them, like little blurbs describing what you're looking at. It's just like, please <laughs> please spare me and this is and in, the, in this movie it's just like there's nothing like really huge. you know it's it's a very classic tale but it's told in this very stylish artful way and expediently and economically and it, it really works it really works
0: well i usually uh wouldn't want to date the show but for this particular conversation i want to say as of today july 10th 2016 john Carpenter has said that he's going to help fix this problem with horror films. I, I want to say that now. So if someone's listening to it in years to come, they can say, yeah, he did. Great. He remade <laughs> Halloween and people took the took the hint. And boy, John, thank you, John Carpenter. I want to know if that happens. Get back to us here in a few <laughs> this, years, listeners. If this you're podcast listening. has now become a time capsule. <laughs> a little bit of a time capsule. But it is interesting. He has uh, specifically talked about all these things recently. I think mm-hmm. in his promotional tour for his music, he's been talking a lot about these sort of things. And he is uh, producing a new Halloween in order to fix some of this stuff. So we'll see
1: if it happens. All right,
2: concert on Friday. You, you did
1: you did see it, or you're going to see it?
2: No, I did see it.
1: Oh, lucky you! Yeah, it wow. was
2: very fun. It was very <laughs> fun.
1: Wow, I'm envious. Well,
0: uh, does anybody else have anything for this minute? Uh, no, I'm really ready to move on to the next one. Yep, for sure. All right. Yep. Well, Violet, you want to remind our listeners where they can find you on the internet?
2: Yes, yeah, so you can check me out at FilmComet.com, along with a lot of uh, really wonderful writers. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at Unbutton my eyes. All
0: right, and you can find us at AlienMinute.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at AlienMinutePod. Uh, you can also go to Instagram and follow us at Alien podcast. And, uh, yeah, uh, come over to our Facebook page and talk it up with us a little bit. And uh, that'll do it for Minute 82. But we'll see you tomorrow for Minute number 83.